Hi listeners, it's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode, as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating? Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my God, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode and thanks for listening. You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible artist. Part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis, and part late-night chat in the theatre bar. This is Hear Me Out. And I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, Mark Gatiss. I'll start by saying how amazing it is to be talking to you in your dressing room here, where you're doing the motive in the queue, and the theatre that we back onto is a show that you're directing? Yes. That must feel good. It's strange. Um, I want to know if... I presume it's happened before. I'd like to think maybe it was Gielgud who did it last. <laughs> it yeah, is, some it's just a complete coincidence. So I directed The Unfriend in Chichester and then it transferred to the Criterion and then it's the new cast. And by total coincidence, yeah. it, you know, because getting a theatre is such a lottery. Yes. They are completely next door. You couldn't it. request no. that they are and geographically. I, I did, I've only done this once, but I had to do it. We, I did a matinee of Motive many weeks ago. And then I went across to give them notes on the unfriend in costume, yeah. just so I could have one picture. Oh, <laughs> perfect! I did. Someone, um, the stage doorkeeper, was asking me about whether I had a picture between the two theatres, and I said, "I'd and I, when I in my head, when it's like um, it should, it's like the sort of picture that'd be in the Sunday Express in 1978 yeah, yeah. Yeah. of Bonnie Langford." <laughs> I should do a star jump between the two theatres. Yes, exactly. Well, it's so um, nice as well because it is one of... I love these two theatres and the way they back onto each yeah, other. They've yeah. got that and alleyway. And there's a tunnel, you know, there's an actual... Well, there's oh, a, a, a corridor. Because I saw the yeah. Lame's sign. Yeah. So you can walk between yes, them. Yes, it's between the fly towers. So, um, oh, great. It's, uh, I have not, I've not done that yet because uh, <clears throat> I haven't really got time in motive to pop over and peer down yes. on the other side. Yeah, it is. It's weird. It's, it's great fun. Ah, brilliant. Okay, so before, um, I want to chat more about the motive in the queue, but the main reason we're here is to talk about your favourite speech. Before we do it, I'm just going to um, warn listeners of the room. We're in your lovely dressing room. There's the cleaner. The cleaner is outside. We can hear the hoover. Um, There's some sort of uh, whirring sound. And uh, we've had to switch off the aircon. So as the episode goes on, there is a chance that we will get moister yes yes it's a sticky day and apologies to everyone who doesn't like the word moist um we are here to discuss your favorite speech Mm. would you tell our listeners what you've picked and what it is from it's got the word speech in well that is great you win uh it's speak the speech from hamlet which is uh, a large part of this show and uh i do it at the end of act one but what's interesting to me is that 
it's a light-hearted thing. It's Hamlet's advice to the players. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Basically, stop messing around. Don't mm-hmm. wave your arms about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what um, uh, what Jack Thorne has done so brilliantly is sort of redeploy it in this play mm-hmm. as a kind of cri de coeur from Gilgood to Richard Burton. Mm-hmm. Like, do it like do it like this, mm-hmm. and it's a very very moving thing to do because it's all because it is always you know. Speak the speech I pray as I pronounce it to you, tripping you on the tongue. But if you mouth it, as many of our players do, I had as leave the town crier spoke my lies. And it's always very lighthearted, but the way it's reused in the, in this play mm. is to be, it's it's desperate and sort of uh, yearning and, mm. and, and, and angry as well. as a lot mm. of anger in it. Mm. And, and frequently when people rustle their sweet wrappers and open their cans of, drink it gets even angrier I discovered mm. especially the lines split the ears of the groundlings who for the most part are capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise yeah. I sometimes like doing that a lot yes right <laughs> like, Shut but up. I think that's it's one of my favorite things in the play that it's just such a clever idea that a bit which isn't always just sort of shrugged off as it were mm. can be and, and Jack does that so brilliantly within the play the, the, the choice of and you mean, part, sorry to interrupt, within the motive and the cue. Yeah. yeah. The, the choice of the part, the bits of Hamlet he uses are very clever. Mm. So we, we can see a lot of Burton being Burton. We can see how Gilgood wants him to do it. And then we see how they kind of come together. Mm. So, so that's the reason I've chosen it. I mean, it's difficult because I've got a few of them. And, uh, and also, obviously, from, from other other things. But mm-hmm. um, it's it's a very interesting challenge, I think, to... To, to, to try and give it a different spin. Yes. And um, and I assume you haven't done it as Hamlet. We were just I'm joking before we started recording that um, you no, haven't done The world has been denied my dame, and oh, I'm, I'm afraid so always will be. <laughs> 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 Sam Mendes did say to us in rehearsal, he said, I do, the only thing I regret is that you and Johnny haven't actually played the part. But isn't it nice? I feel like in this play, you kind of get to. Yes, yes. Oh my God, it's it's fantastic. I never have to think about it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's much better that way, I think. But um, uh, it's it's an interesting thing. I've always been fascinated though by the kind of, it's it persists to this day. The kind of every generation, there's a kind of jostling uh, amongst actors who are heading towards forty, going, Christ, I've got to do it. And yes. It's, it's just like, gosh, why? There's there's still a there's still that kind of imperative about it and um, I find that very interesting especially when people used to play Hamlet till they were sort of 75 sure. and of course McKellen's just done it yes. uh, at age 80 so um, so did you ever have that feeling did you not have at all. no I am without it just didn't appear I'm virtually without ambition <laughs> <laughs> so I never it never worried me at all it also is terrifying but, but also I, was it sorry to interrupt uh, was it also partly thinking of just your origins and it being around comedy did you feel at the beginning of your career like a comedy actor you know as in did you because I feel like when I was younger the world felt like it was very quick to box you you're a Shakespeare actor oh you're a comedy actor it is I mean it is you have to you have if if you're lucky and you get to change people's minds that you have to do it yourself they won't Mm, do it and then what happens is they then bracket you in whatever new um, straight jacket. Yes, and you're like, I actually was, You've if you remember. You've measured yourself, yes, yes. <laughs> I did start uh, doing that. That yeah. does happen too, but, yeah. but no, it's, um, I've just never felt that need. Uh, right. I can totally understand it, but it tends to be a very alpha thing, I think, to want to want to be habilitated that way. And uh, But what the, this play is really, uh, it's made me really love 
the play Hamlet an mm. awful lot, and also to understand that thing. Gilgood says to Burton, you know, they've never seen you do it. It, it, it basically, he, he's not ripe for it. Yeah. Right. Um, tremendous actor, not a Hamlet, you see. But he actually, the the way through in the end is to say, do it your way. That's the only way you can do it. Yes. And that I find very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I suppose what it, what you end up with is, is everyone is going, oh, I don't know. It's a bit like when you, you know, it's like, okay, how are we going to do Twelfth Night? Maybe on the moon? So sometimes people just yes. get slightly desperate and you don't need it. All you need to do is find something that clicks with you. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that, and it is one of my pet peeves. I'm a huge Shakespeare lover, but it is one of my pet peeves with modern productions is the desire to do a different thing mm. rather than maybe just trusting that you are just doing it again because it hasn't been done in a year and, <laughs> or a month, and maybe there's a new audience that haven't seen it before, mm. uh, maybe some young people who haven't seen it before. I mean, it's diff- of course it's difficult because you're always trying to go, It's well, maybe we can try this, mm. but it's it's... It's that thing of, in the end, you can tell sometimes when someone has got an idea mm. and they're desperately crowbarring everything into it. Yes. I remember once seeing a, a production of, of Candide, and the, which is set in Westphalia, okay. of course, and there was a banner at the beginning that said Westphalia. Oh, and right. obviously, that's a good joke. But yeah. then the entire production was about, was, was about the failure of the West. You're going, well, it's not. No. It's not. Candide no. is not about that. Well, I so, have a pet peeve that I, I feel like I'm repeating myself now on the show. I might have mentioned this before, but about modernising Shakespeare. And I think it can be modernised. I think it can be timeless. Yes. But sometimes the modernising of Shakespeare to the point where battles are done with guns irritates me because I think it actually stops making sense of how the battle would have played out or the conversations people have that they would have had maybe only because they were at a distance. But then the other thing, of course, which becomes its own sort of self-fulfilling prophecy is what, what, what we used to call years ago Timeless with Dr. Martins. <laughs> Oh, which, is sort of, yes. which is sort of black combats and, and big boots. Yes, and, and that's like, timeless. That's the thing. Oh, it? and timeless it's, is just an overused A-level word. It's very, very well. difficult. And I, I, but then I also, it, in that funny way, the wheel turns. It's like, I, I, do you know, I'd really love to see a proper Jacobean Hamlet. I'd love to see that. I'd love Does to even see the Globe it. do that? I don't know. Because even know. the Globe modernises yeah, a yeah. lot now. So... It's a strange thing, isn't it? Because you and then, but then you read about these incredible things. You're like um, Orson Welles' um, uh, modern dress, Julius Caesar, which right. was absolutely revolutionary, and people have never seen. And, and like you can, you can sense the thrill of that. Yeah. But again, it's that thing of like some some bits work, some yes. bits don't. Yes. And you're going well. Do you then just take those bits out? I don't know. So what I think is really nice already from what you said is that when I heard what speech you were going to talk about. I was like, speak the speech from Hamlet. And in a way, I feel like you've actually picked speak the speech from the motive in the queue. Yes, I guess so, yes, yeah. Because so, I think it, mm. because it operates on two levels, yeah. doesn't it? And that's brilliant. So can you explain to any of the listeners who might not have seen the motive in the queue, mm. can you give a brief outline of what the play is about? Oh yes, so it's a true story. Um, 1964, uh, Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole um, were getting drunk one night somewhere and they both decided they should play Hamlet. They were both very, very big mm-hmm. names at the time. Uh, they both wanted to play Hamlet. They decided one would do it on Broadway and one yeah. in London and they decided that one would be directed by Olivier and one by Gilgit and yeah. they tossed a coin. That's wow. the story. 
Uh, O'Toole got Olivier at the Old Vic, first show of yeah. the nascent National Theatre, and Burton had Gielgud on Broadway. Mm. And uh, Gielgud, having been the greatest Hamlet of his time, of his generation, mm. was kind of forgotten. He was mm. very much viewed as yesterday's man. His whole uh, style was viewed as very beautiful but old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenneth Tynan famously said he was the greatest actor in the world from the neck up. <laughs> he said it once. There's a brilliant review. He says John Gilgood's legs are entirely unnecessary. <laughs> um, but he really was washed up. He was touring the world with a one-man show right. called Ages of Man, which is of Shakespeare. That was kind of it. And he'd mm. yet to have his second act, which was film. Right. And um, Burton Hero worshipped him, but he thought he was going to be a pushover, and he wasn't a pushover. Mm, mm. And so they, the, the rehearsal process, which is chronicled in two books, which the, um, the play is based on, uh, was very bad. It, yes. It was, a, it, was, it was not good. But the show was a massive hit. Mm. The most successful Broadway Hamlet ever. Mm. And Burton and Taylor had just got married, so it was a, it was a huge event. And yeah. But that, that's what it's about. So, so essentially, there is this clash between the old style and the new style. Mm -hmm. Burton is desperately trying to make it relevant. And, and what's interesting, because you can watch it, because it was filmed, it's all on YouTube, it's a fantastic production, mm -hmm. but it's now very You mean the original yeah, one? Yes. It's very yeah. 60s. Yeah. Whereas Gilgood's style, genuinely, I think, is, is timeless. And Without Doc Martens. Without, <laughs> thus far, um, but that's that's the that's that's the place. But so it's about these yeah. two sort of enormous legendary figures who clash and mm -hmm. then kind of find a way through. Mm -hmm. And you said it was based on books, and those books were written. Am I right? By a person who was in the rehearsal room. So uh, Richard Stern, who played a gentleman, mm. uh, he was only nineteen, I think. He secretly recorded the rehearsals, including one he. The private rehearsal between Gilgood and Burton, he hid under the stage all night, wrapped in a carpet like Cleopatra. And um, on like a he must like on a he had reel a to reel, it was, in, it was in a briefcase like a spy. Wow. And then when it, when it finished, he approached both of them, said, "I've done this. Do you mind if I publish it?" And they both said, "Fine." Amazing. And, then, and, and so uh, what happened was. Sam <clears throat> Mendes was living in New York about 10, 12 years ago, mm. <clears throat> and he found this book, Richard's book, and he's fascinated by rehearsal. Yeah. And he read it, and then a few years later, he found another book, which is by William Redfield, who was also in the play playing Guildenstern, uh, which is a much more gossipy and, and fun book called Letters from an Actor. Right. And he thought, there's, there's two books about So it must have happened. Like, and it must have been dramatic. Yeah. So yeah. And, and he sent the, the books to Jack Thorne and said, do you think there's a play in this? And then about a month later, it arrived. God. So, but amazingly, Richard Stern is still with us and still working. He's seen the show five times. Uh, and is he like, that's what it was like? Well, he, he was, it's, it was just an extraordinary experience, really. And then the, the, we've had a lot, you know, we've, Burton's daughter, Kate's been in three times. Oh, Gilbert's wow. niece has been. We had the designer of, of Burton's Hamlet in, Jane Greenwood, 89, still working. Um, Do you find those shows quite stressful when they're people who are important to your story? Yeah, inevitably. But the most mm. the most extraordinary thing is that you you sometimes it because it feels like it's impossibly distant, mm. and then you literally meet someone who was in it. Yes. Oh. Or, and and it, you, it just the, the years just fall away, and it's quite extraordinary. Yeah. When I was at um, I trained at Lambda, and mm. and in my final showcase piece, I did a play um, called Vincent in Brixton. Mm -hmm. I think that's right. Such a good. 
Um, and it's essentially about, for the listeners, it's essentially about uh, Van Gogh living in a little town, a little house in Stockwell, yeah. um, which he apparently did do for a period of his life. And he was pulled back home by his parents and they think it was because he was having an affair with his landlady. And Nicholas Wright wrote this play hypothesizing on what that affair was. Um, and I was cast as Ursula Lawyer, who is the widow landlady. And um, the whole thing was a really wonderful experience. It was a nice group of us doing it. We had James Dacre directing it. It was slightly complicated because my ex-boyfriend was cast as Van Gogh and I'm pretty sure Lambda did that on purpose in a really weird <laughs> twisted way. But um, one day we decided as a cast to go and visit the house because they've figured out through postage, mm -hmm. historical postmarks yeah. and stuff, where it was. And they put a blue plaque on the wall. So we were like, let's all go and have a little um, field trip to the house. And I remember we went to the house and, um, and Rob, who was playing Van Gogh, was like, I'm going to knock on the door. I'm going to knock on the door. And we were all going, Rob, stop. And he went and knocked on the door and this guy opened the door and he said, hi, I'm so sorry, we're a bunch of, he must have looked like such knobs, you know, he's <laughs> like, we're a bunch of drama school, um, training drama school actors and, you know, we're doing a play set in your house, you know, would you mind if we came in to have a look? And this guy basically said, I mean, very sadly, I think his mother had lived there and she just passed away and he was clearing out, but he was really lovely. He was like, yeah, of course, it's a mess, but like, come on in. And we started chatting to him and we went into the kitchen and the whole play is set in this tiny kitchen, you know, which really ups the stakes of everything. And we were standing there talking and we said, well, how long have you, has your mum lived here? And he said, my mum, you know, I was born, my mum was born in this house, like her mum bought it from someone uh, called Lawyer, Lawyer, I think, no. like, uh, and I went, Ursula Lawyer? And he went, yes, and I went, <laughs> Like, I just sort of burst into tears. And it's exactly like you just said yes. about people coming in. You know, it felt so distant. Yeah. Even just seeing the house, you're like, cool, this, this is the is house. The house. And then suddenly, though, being mm. like, God, your mother bought the house Probably. off the person I'm trying to, mm. you know, it all, mm. it suddenly felt very, yes, very emotional. No, it's, it's, it's strange. It's kind of magical, really. But then I think even when it's very distant, you know, again, Austin Wells always talked about when he was a boy, he was introduced by his mother to, to someone uh, who was um, the Empress Josephine's cousin or something like that. <laughs> right. And he was only nine and, and, and he couldn't go to bed with excitement. And she yeah. said, what is it? And he said, but imagine one handshake from Napoleon. That's, and that's the truth wow, about those yes. things. Sometimes the, the lineage is very impactfully there, isn't it? You just kind of go, but that's not far at all. Really. No. That's within a memory. Do you prefer playing parts that are based on real people? I've done a lot of it. I do like it. It's fun because, of course, there's loads of research and that's mm. what I'm trying to get the voice and all the mannerisms and whatever. But it's it's not so much that. I think it's it's just I just find it very interesting and, and I, I sort of it's like it's like reading it's like diving into a biography. You know? mm. And I you know I've always loved Gilgut. I've always done Gilgut since I was a kid. I used to do in. Uh, in Merrill the Orient Express and um, the Elephant Man particularly they were the big ones for me and, ever and what do you mean so you've done him as in you've it's better like doing your impressions better your oh. he's talking to Freddie Jones Freddie Jones is trying to get uh, John Merrick away from the hospital uh, he says I will go to the police and he, and he says go then go to the police I'm sure they'll be very interested in your story <laughs> he does, this is the thing which is a huge help to me which is that he he he, he does a sort of diminuendo oh uh, with his head too it's like he's watching something going downhill like that oh that's it's helpful. very very helpful. 
so that actually leads me on to another thing I was interested in, which is you obviously had your Gilgood down pat already. Yeah. In a show like this one, how early are you brought on? I did the workshop, the first workshop right, during okay. lockdown. And um, had you worked with Sam before or Jack <clears throat> before? Like, yeah. no. I just got. So they just knew that you had a Gilgood yeah. in you. Well, I don't know. They, uh, <laughs> Alistair Coomer, probably. Yeah, it was just. A, I mean, it was a wonderful thing because obviously nothing was happening, and it was the most extraordinary. So is it during COVID? Email, the workshop? Yeah, yeah. And mm. then the, the workshop had to be done under obviously very strict conditions. Mm. It was, it was, we did it the first. When it was first sort of easing up a bit. It was brilliant because it was about everything we were missing. It was yeah. about being in a rehearsal room. It was about all, even when it's not going right, it was about that thrill. Oh, I think that's amazing to hear because that's where this podcast came from. It's entirely mm. me during COVID being like, I really miss the chats I have in a rehearsal room. How can I create a situation for myself where I can sit and have those chats where I'm like talking about text with an actor in a nice, easy way so that's lovely to hear. That's obviously what was going through all of our minds. Yeah, yeah. Um, fun story. I actually auditioned to understudy Liz. No. Yeah. Because when I first heard about it, I was like, I just, I love Jack. And Jack's been on the show. And I just think he's incredible. Yes. And so the minute it was just announced publicly, and it was like, well, Jack's written this play and, <clears throat> um, and Sam was directing it. I was like, that sounds... <laughs> outrageously good you know I was just like that I hadn't even read it at that point but I was like god that sounds awesome and I reached out to Alistair Coomer who is casting director of the National for people listening and I was like Al I'll understudy I don't like I just I would I want to be in that room like that sounds so cool and like and I remember what I sent him actually was an email that said this is my very official pitch to understudy and I, I none, none of you guys had been announced yet so I didn't know who I didn't know the Tuppence Middleton was playing Elizabeth Taylor um, I just knew they'd obviously want someone with a relatively high profile. So I sort of said, um, this is my very official pitch to understand <laughs> Liz Taylor. And I found these two pictures of Elizabeth Taylor that almost exactly match up to some pictures of me. And not in a vain way, like one of them is like her going like, <laughs> and there's an exact picture of me in a wedding going, you know. And I literally just said, this is my very official pitch to understudy Elizabeth Taylor and the two pictures. And, um, and then they did bring me in, but I think in the end, the track changed. So they were going to try and get the understudy for Liz to be the same person who plays... Eileen Hurley. No, I think the girl who plays Ophelia. Oh, right, oh, really? Oh. And then I think what happened was oh, they yeah. changed their mind. They yeah. were like, actually, the understudy for Liz is going to be an age that's older than me, yeah. and the person playing Ophelia is going to be an age that's younger than me. So yes. that track just disintegrated. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, it's oh. not going to happen. But that's why I'd already read it. I remember reading it being like, this is amazing, it's so cool. But it is a, it's a very happy company, I have to say. They're Good. Very, very, very supportive and, and, and fun. Uh, yeah. Actually, but at the National Ant here, we've got five new people in this. Oh, have this you? Um, but it's been really lovely. And uh, it's very interesting, though, the, the difference between a West End audience and the national audience. That's interesting, go on. Well, it's, I mean, they're great, fantastic response. We, we, we always get a fantastic response, but it's just, you know, it's fun. Sometimes you, you think, Johnny said the other day, he said, I think we're, we're, we're getting more tourists now. And I think that's mm. true. I think we're on a list. But there, mm. there are pockets of bafflement sometimes. <laughs> well, yes, the uh, national is full of people probably where like a, a small niche joke is made. Everyone goes, oh. Of course. And, and, <laughs> But then you, they still, it still happens in that way. But, mm. but I don't know, sometimes they're just so... And last night, I'm not kidding, mm. it was like a TB ward. There was so much coughing 
uh, I was actually having to pitch over it because oh. it was it there was it was like this is and really... coughing is like an epidemic like yes, it's yes. contagious. People One person coughs oh, I can and do then it now. Oh. and um, and then other nights they're absolutely pin sharp quiet. Yeah. It's so strange. But I mean, I'm not blaming anyone. It's just very different. And then you can get a kind of I don't know. There's there's a sort what of what bits are there bits that like landed really well in the national that don't land here or vice versa. No, it's all it, they're, they're, it's pretty much the same. Right. The only thing that happens, which happens to everything in a long run, mm. as you'll know, is that sometimes a laugh disappears. Mm. And it and then it reappears somewhere else, like a worm. Mm. <laughs> and, it, and you're going, I don't think we're doing anything different. No. What's happening? I've yeah. got one of those. At the moment, it's driving me nuts, because it seems to me to be exactly the same, but it's not getting the response it used to. And then you start chasing it, which is dangerous. Yes, and you think, but I'm actually thinking, this is very odd. Yeah. But then... It does, then sometimes it can kind of reappear. Audiences um, become like this sort of blob, this yes, beast yeah, of their own, you know. It is, and, and, and it's, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. You just kind of go, I've always been fascinated by what that is. And of course, when you're in an audience yourself, you never think about that. No, oh, and the classic thing, like, I'll be an audience, like, recently I saw something, I'm trying to think, who now? It was a classic thing where I saw a friend afterwards, they went, oh, God, that was a tough crowd. Yeah, yeah, and and I was there going, we were loving no, it. No, no, no. That's yeah. why you must never judge because yeah. because you don't want to be told as an audience that you were tough. Uh, especially, and also it's it's their evening. It's, well, this it's, is what um, David Mamet says yeah. in True or False. Yeah. There's a lovely moment where he's like, the worst thing you can do yeah. is go out as an actor and go, you, or even to go out and say, you had a bad, you had a bad version of the show. We were awful tonight. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. like they might have paid how no. much to, yeah, and, and also, loved it. I think, yeah, no, it, it's, it's very important. It's the same. It's the same kind of uh, kindness that you do the other way around. Just you come around and say it was fantastic. Mm -mm. And Mar as Alan Bennett says, marvellous, marvellous, marvellous. Because even if you didn't think it, don't say it now. No. When the person you're talking to has, is, is flayed. No. Don't pour salt on them. Oh, God, no. And if you know them well enough, maybe a few months later you say, mm, yes. whatever, I'm sure. But, but not on the night. No. Good or God. I always think, yes, a few months later, it's like you want to gauge how they feel. You're like, and how did you... Fine. Because yeah. we've all been in things where yeah. they aren't great. And actually with a bit of distance from it, you can be like, yeah, that was hard. And I wasn't very proud of it. And, you know, so I'm always trying to gauge what the friend thinks before I give any opinion. You know, you're like, hey, did you? I remember seeing something I, I hated that I won't name because it was very popular. I hated it. And I remember at the end being like, and did do you think, did you? And they were like, God, yeah, I'm so proud. And I was like, mm, mm, yes, very yes. good. Yeah, very, very that's good. What I'm going to I say. also agree <laughs> with that. But when you say about the tourists, that's interesting because I saw um, Operation Mincemeat oh, yeah. recently, which is so wonderful. Fantastic. And I heard afterwards that there was one night where like a bunch of people walked out and they were like, I didn't know this was a musical. And you're like, I mean, all the signs are like, Operation Mincemeat, a new musical, yeah. you know, everywhere. But yeah. some people just don't. Yeah. Um, okay, back to the speech because mm. we should we don't have lots of time. So, thinking of it in the context, I guess, of the motive and the cue, you said there's a lot of anger to it in in that version of it. Are there any parts of the speech particularly that you love, or any bits of uh, advice to the players that you think, as a modern actor, you're like, yeah, I mean, it's all good advice, but is there any particular bit you're like, gosh, that is so wonderfully played? I think it's, it's what the most extraordinary thing about it is it's completely relevant. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I tell you what it really speaks to mm. is the truth of Shakespeare as an actor manager. He is, that is, that is who knows? Maybe he yeah. used to say something like that all the time, yes. every night. 
and thought, that's good. <laughs> I might put in. that in something. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's absolutely true, you know. It's about, especially, you know, do not saw the air too much with your hand. That's yes. Use all gently. It's, it's about... Um, it's about truth, isn't it? Yes, truth over yeah. over style, truth yeah. over manner. Yeah, and and so uh, I just think you you could. I was directing something, not the other friend, uh, and mm. and I thought, um, how should I put this? I, I thought actually, I could just do speak the speech. I didn't, yeah, but it yeah. sort of completely works because yeah. you're, you're saying all the all the right things. It's yeah, about, and then, and then it's also. Do not uh, be not too tame, neither. And, and, and then, and then there's a, there is a sort of proper kind of eye rolling anger about there. There are people I've seen who get a lot of praise. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Yeah, you know? and it's 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 amazingly relevant in a yes. way that you know sometimes it's so difficult with Shakespeare, isn't it? That I think that you know there should be a moratorium on some of them mm. because they're not in the same league and you, it, part of the weird veneration thing is that they're all up there yeah, like, oh, yeah they're not all up there yeah that was a collaboration with three different people and it's not great yeah it's, it's just not great it's interesting but you know you don't have to keep doing interesting it. to study maybe but yeah. do you need to keep putting it on and, yeah and, so, and and then there are and, and you know and as you say those kind of stratford laughs the stratford mm. laugh as i call it where there's some incredibly obscure reference. yes someone goes <laughs> <laughs> i understand um yeah uh but then something will absolutely cut through. Yeah. That makes you, it sort of makes your jaw drop because you go, it, obviously sometimes just because Shakespeare actually coined the phrase. Yes. But uh, frequently. Yeah. But then it's also just some amazingly relevant piece of advice or, or truth that makes yeah. you think, well, then again, again, the year's telescope, it's, it's like one hand shape from, from Shakespeare. Yes, that's lovely. Yeah. I wonder whether in terms of acting style, because in in recent living history there have been so many different there has been like styles to acting like when you talked about Gilgood being old-fashioned mm. I wonder whether when you hear the speak the speech advice it is so how we would perform today you almost wonder I wish we could see what they would have acted like oh yeah but yeah, perhaps yeah. it was very close to what we do now in a space like the Globe mm. or on the Olivier, you know, mm. I mean, it's definitely the type of acting that has to fill a large space mm. and reach the people up in the gods. And also, you know, combat coughing. The no yeah, coughing and talking and yeah, yeah it's absolutely completely part. So it's probably not what we see at the Donmar Warehouse, mm. but it probably is similar. It is probably closer to what we do now than maybe the sort of stuff we think of as being Olivier and Gilgood, which was so of its own. Oh yes, I mean, if you, I mean, if you listen to. Gilgood survives as a radio play. That's the only one, really. Mm. There's a couple of tiny clips, which is very frustrating. And he turned down the chance to make a film because he thought film was silly. But it's very, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But within the cast, there are some very Edwardian performances. I think yes. Gertrude is like, she, it's a, and they, they sound very old-fashioned. They're exactly what you expect yeah. from it to be. And then somehow I think Gilgood—I would say this—but Gilgood sort of cuts through it, I think. But um, I mean, that whole—it's so difficult to tell now, is because we have no idea, mm. and we we assume that, you know, we 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 assume we've got it right, don't we? Yeah. And of then, and because it feels very naturalistic and real, and then, but that wasn't what acting was. It wasn't no. what was expected. So um, I remember very vividly there's a 
there's a Chaplin film called A Woman of Paris, beautiful film, mm. big flop in its day because he directed it, but he's not in it. But he has a cameo as a railway porter, and he can't tell it's him. He just mm. speaks for verse. Yeah. But there's a French actor in it who is so naturalistic, you kind of you go like that. You yes. can't quite believe he's in a silent movie because he doesn't appear to be like anyone else in oh, it. Oh, that's so cool. But you just go, where have you come from? He's like yeah. he's been dropped from the future. Yeah. Thing. And uh, I, I find that all fascinating. You know, what was Edmund Keane like? What was Garrick like? We imagine it in a very rather pejorative way, it's very declamatory and mm. we don't really know. I mean, mm. That's the problem. One thing we do know about Gilgit is that amazingly a woman wrote a book about his performances, Hamlet, I've got it. Okay. She watched about 180 performances and wrote down every single bit. So you can actually follow the progress of it, which oh is incredible. But um, I, I think that's really interesting, what we what we imagine it was like, mm. and then what, when you get little glimpses of it. And it's like Olivier, you know, we only really, what survives, of course, is film. Yeah. And film was not his medium. No. And so, you can you just kind of you can sort of a, a modern audience might go what was all the fuss about but we didn't we didn't yeah. know it was like didn't know how charismatic he was on and then stage. you then you maybe you see a glimpse or you hear something like the, the RSC um, released those um, recordings recently mm. a few years ago I mean it's probably at least ten maybe twelve um, and uh, you know suddenly you hear a bit of his Coriolanus or something like that and it's like wow uh, but as Gilgood says in Motive you know. Performances written water, they 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 go, they're ephemeral, and that's oh, part that's of the nice. magic of it. Yeah, wonderful. We should hear the speech. So yes, I'm going to move the microphone a little clear uh, nearer, so that we can um, so that we can hear it properly. Let me just check if all of these are still while I'm perching it. Slightly out of line, my volume. Speak the speech. I pray you, as I pronounced it to you, trippingly on the tongue. But if you mouth it, as many of our players do, I had as leaf the town crier spoke my lines. Nor do not saw the air too much with your hand thus, but use all gently, for in the very torrent, tempest, and as I may say, the whirlwind of your passion, you must acquire and beget a temperance that may give it smoothness. Oh, it offends me to the soul to hear a robustuous periwig-pated fellow tear a passion to tatters, to very rags, to split the ears of the groundlings who, for the most part, are capable of nothing but inexplicable dumb shows and noise. I would have such a fellow whipped for all-doing termagant. It out-herods Herod. Pray you, avoid it. Be not too tame, neither, but let your own discretion be your tutor. Suit the action to the word, the word to the action, with this special observance that you o'erstep not the modesty of nature. For anything so o'erdone is from the purpose of playing, whose end, both at the first and now was and is, to hold as twere the mirror up to nature, to show virtue her own feature, scorn her own image, and the very age and body of the time, his form and pressure. Now this overdone, or come tardy off, though it make the unskilful laugh, cannot but make the judicious grieve. 
Oh, there be players that I have seen play and heard others praise, and that highly. Not to speak it profanely that neither having the accent of Christians nor the gait of Christian, pagan, nor man have so strutted and bellowed that I have thought some of nature's journeymen had made men and not made them well. They imitated humanity so abominably. Wonderful. Thank you. It's full of, it's got so many classics in there. I was reading it yesterday and it's like, I didn't know it. I was like, so the action the Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristan Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. Our heartfelt thanks to the estates and license holders that allow us to read our guests' speech choices. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please subscribe, rate and review. You can follow us on social media at Pod Hear Me Out and enjoy visual clips of the interviews on our YouTube channel. Finally, if you would like to support Hear Me Out, go ahead and click the Patreon link at the bottom of the episode bios.